Chapter Seventeen of the Old Fashioned Fairy Book by Constance Carey Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carol Box. Chapter Seventeen The Leprechaun A Legend of the Emerald Isle. Once upon a time, by the glimmer of the nursery fire, a little girl sat listening to the tales told by her buxom Irish nurse. The details of most of these, notably of one very thrilling legend of the Banshee, who has ever since seemed to float upon the wind that blows after nightfall, have passed from memory, but the good old story of Molly Jones and the Leprechaun remains, and, as best I can, I reproduce it here. In a comfortable farmhouse upon the outskirts of a small village in Ireland lived a farmer with his six sons. He was a prosperous man, and, besides having better cows, pigs, and potatoes than any other man in the county, was said to keep a tidy bit of money laid away in bank. Only one maidservant did the work of the house, and she had lived there for many a year. At last she died, and the farmer looked about him for a girl to take her place. The wages were high and a strapping lass named Mary Jones made up her mind that she was the right person for the situation. The farmer liked her looks, and engaged her on the spot. "'No, Molly, lass,' said the master, when he had finished taking her around the house, and showing her how neat and convenient everything was. "'You see what you've got to do, and that's the end of it. Nobody in this house works well.' has ever cause to want for encouragement, for there's hands to help them that aren't too curious. The main thing you'd better guard against is taking notes and asking questions. Molly protested that she was innocent of the inheritance of Mother Eve, and the farmer went on with his directions. On the first night of every month the family goes early to bed, and it will be your business to see that the hearth is well swept and fresh turf laid upon the fire, and to collect around it all the worn and broken shoes about the house. The last thing before you leave the room, be sure to set before the fire a nice bowl of mealy potatoes bursting from the jackets, a couple of herring broiled to a turn, and a jug of sweet buttermilk. Whatever you do, never forget the salt. Molly, though burning with curiosity, curtsied and said nothing. All went well till the first night of the coming month. When the family was retiring, the farmer whispered, Remember, Molly, be a bed and asleep before the clock strikes twelve, and don't forget the salt. Molly tidied her kitchen, swept the hearth, arranged around it all the worn and broken shoes in the house, her own Sunday pair included, and after setting a nice little meal, covered with a white cloth, near the fire, wound up the clock, and went to bed. Next morning, what was her surprise to find not only all the boots and shoes neatly mended, but the empty jug and platter washed and restored to their places, while a beautiful fire was blazing merrily. She dared not ask any questions of the farmer or his sons, and no one appeared in the least surprised by what had occurred. That month her work went so easily that Molly thought it child's play. Her bread was baked brown and light, 
her potatoes were a triumph, her churning was done sooner than anybody's in the place, and her linen was hung out to dry by sunrise on Monday mornings. For a month or two Molly never failed to set her kitchen in order, as before, for the mysterious guest. But one night she was in a hurry, and forgot the salt. Next morning the boots were mended, but the fire was scattered on the hearth. Ashes lay all around her neat kitchen, and the dishes were left unwashed. This excited Molly's curiosity anew, and, when the time came, she did everything as usual, but, instead of going to bed, hid behind the kitchen clock. Punctually as the clock struck twelve, out popped from behind a big stone in the chimney-place a queer little dwarf dressed all in red. Apparently he suspected something, for he sniffed and peered into the darkness of the kitchen. Molly held her breath through fear, and the dwarf proceeded to blow up the fire and warm himself before sitting down to supper. Then, uncovering his cup and platter, and finding that all was to his taste, he smacked his lips and made an excellent repast. When it was over, he whipped out of his bag some shoemaker's tools, and went to work to patch and mend the shoes, with twinkling fingers. In an hour's time all was finished, and, after putting the room to rights, the dwarf took his leave. Molly told nobody that she had seen the veritable leprechaun, the famous shoemaking fairy, but the next month she happened to be in an ill humour and hungry. So, without stopping to think of the consequences, she ate his supper herself, leaving upon the platter only a heap of potato skins and the bones of the well-picked herrings. That night, while all the world was asleep, in came the leprechaun, and finding the trick that had been played on him, flew into a terrible rage, scattered the boots and shoes over the floor, broke the crockery, and— seizing a broom swept all the ashes out upon the kitchen floor molly who was watching ran up to the garret and jumping into bed pulled the clothes over her head in a cold perspiration with terror but hark on the steps outside came the pit-pat of little feet in rushed the offended house fairy he seized molly by the hair of her head and dragged her down the stairs and over the flags of the yard, saying, Molly Jones, Molly Jones, potato skins and herring bones. I'll break your bones upon the stones. Molly Jones, oh Molly Jones. In vain Molly cried for mercy. The farmer and his sons were fast asleep, and not a soul heard her. All night long the leprechaun dragged her about, and when the cock crowed he vanished, leaving her bruised and sore upon the threshold of the door. More dead than alive, Molly crawled up to her bed, where she lay black and blue for many a day. The farmer, suspecting what lesson had been taught her, said nothing, and we may be sure that, when the next time came for the visit of the leprechaun, the little red dwarf had no fault to find with Molly. End of chapter 17 Recording by Carol Box